Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Reductibus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Denebriard Podcast Networks, and as always, we are brought to you tonight by the delicious Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for. I am your host. My name is Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Van Sampson, and with me tonight is my my brother in tentacles, Mr. And also in life, Mr. 8-Bit Alchemy. <laughs> right. Actually, I do have the distinction of being both being your both. podcast brother yes. and your real actual yes. brother. It's, so, it's so hi, hi. Yeah. So hello, Parasite Steve. Oh, How are you oh. tonight? Oh, we're being very formal. Hello. Oh, yes. Hello, oh, hello. It's kind of like an episode of Little Bear. You know, it's like, oh, hello, Mother oh. Bear. <laughs> hello, Brother hello. Bear. Hello, human. Yeah. Um, hello. Yeah, pretty much. So we're here with another break. We've been on a roll with these things, and we've gotten just a, an insane amount of cool guests this year. Very proud of that. And we are continuing that tradition with this episode here. This week, we have for you a true renaissance man of the film industry. Our guest tonight is an actor, a screenwriter, producer, director, documentarian, artist, animator, and host of the Damn Dirty Geeks podcast in the late... 80s he started in a series of cult horror films before going on to do animation work for disney on such features as you may have heard of them fantasia 2000 tarzan atlantis the lost empire and more later he co-founded benevolent monster productions and produced numerous award-winning documentaries including the wonderful i love it so much beast wishes there's a bunch more stuff too. Honestly, this guy has done it all, and we would be here for three hours if I did the full intro. You so can't think, read the whole IMDb. You I can't think do we'll it. leave. It, I think we'll leave it there. Down in the brig, it's Frank Dietz. Hey, Frank, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. You know this this dungeon down here. It, it it's amazing. It looks suspiciously like one of my offices, um, but it just doesn't <laughs> smell as nice. It's just yeah, an illusion well, to keep the to keep the prisoners <laughs> complacent, you know. It tries to keep the uh, riots to a minimum. Yeah, we if pump it looks in the, like where you live. Yeah, we pump in the uh, the Degaba smell, uh, mm. just so you don't get too comfortable. <laughs> well, as so, a reptile uh, fan, I think I would probably like the Degaba smell. So, <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's I'm oh. sure it's very Jurassic Parky. Every time I see I would see Jurassic Park, I'm like, I know it smells like Degaba. I'm positive it just. <laughs> First one. Definitely same smell. <laughs> Definitely sure. same smell. Um, so welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you are a guy who I feel like has done it all, has been around for a while, and you seemingly, based on your internet presence, uh, you just know everybody, which is just very <laughs> cool. <laughs> so if you want to name um, drop some names, I mean, you can. Oh, we're not going <laughs> to. I'm known for it. Cool. So believe me. 
<laughs> the name dropping will commence. On Damn Dirty Geeks, we used to have to um, if if somebody dropped a name, it was it was just chaos. Uh, they would everyone would jump on him and and just give him such shit for it every single time. <laughs> so it became it became a running joke with us, which was really actually just added to the fun. So yeah, that's right. awesome. Well, you can do it here, and we we won't judge you. In fact, we'll probably we'll probably just appreciate it. In fact. Um, and actually, I think I think it's possible that you and I know uh, we know have one degree of separation uh, through a person who is not famous. But uh, you're friends with Greg Nicotero, and uh, I'm friends with a guy who works for Greg Nicotero, uh, Mike Broom. Do you know Mike? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I I'm pretty familiar with like the whole K and B crew over there. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I visit there from time to time and, um, you know, they built, they built, um, the spider, the giant spider for my creep show episode there. And, yes. uh, and, uh, well, there, there's a lot of great guys working over at K and B. It's a, it's a very cool place. Very cool. I'm sure. I mean, I'm just incredibly jealous at all times that like, you know, this, <laughs> this is just the, the fun stuff. You get to do all the fun stuff. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's actually hard to know where to begin and your career is so expansive and so interesting. There are so many facets to it that I, I mean, I just don't feel like we can cram it into one episode. So my plan was to kind of jump around a little bit. You have a new movie that you just finished filming. I want to make sure we, we really get into that yeah, and yeah. talk about that is the most important thing. Um, just, uh, some, some quick, some quick stuff. Uh, a person, uh, who is, who has directed you was just on our show a couple weeks ago for the second time, Larry Blamire. So, so he was, so I told him that you were going to be on this Thursday and, uh, his, his immediate response was, Oh, excellent. Definitely don't ask him about the lemon meringue incident. Do you know what that's about? Because he didn't elaborate. <laughs> I don't know, but that's so Larry. That is just so Larry. Okay, so if he's throwing a he's throwing a uh, you know a curve at me basically. So I mean, maybe right. there is a yeah, running meringue story, and I don't remember. You know. He did tell us not to ask you about it, so maybe that's because he made it up. Oh, that's because he's that's that's my the strength. most Larry he could have done, right? Yeah. That is yep. so funny. I didn't no even doubt. it didn't even occur to me that it was something just nonsense that he made up. But you're right; that is <laughs> that's that actually makes <laughs> got him. It <laughs> absolutely <laughs> makes makes that makes perfect Blamire sense. Actually, it so. does. It does. <laughs> Good Blamarian <laughs> sense. So funny. Uh, so yeah, you were in this movie he directed called The Lost Skeleton Returns again. And yeah. uh, that is how I became familiar with you. You uh, you played a character called Reet Pappin, which is still one yeah. of my all time favorite character names. <laughs> yep, mine too. <laughs> I was so happy when Larry called me up uh, and and basically said, "Hey, I I have a I have a role in this um, you know this movie that we're about to do." Um, and he says, "I think you'd be you know great for it." Um, he did ask me, though, to send him. I hadn't acted in a very long time. Um, and so he did ask me to send him some kind of footage that was, you know, and the most recent thing that I could come up with was uh, when I, I for, for Bob Burns and Bob and Kathy Burns used to put on these elaborate Halloween shows. And the yep. very last one that they did was based on the the thing, the original thing from the 1950s. And um, 
and I got to play the the Kenneth Toby character in that. And it it actually turned out to be perfect because you know it was playing sort of a I mean it was a more of a military guy than a than a government guy, but still had the mm -hmm. same sort of tone to it really. And uh, <laughs> And uh, I, uh, I, I, so I sent it to him, and and he he invited me to to play Reed Pappen, and it was a thrill for me because I had, I had watched you know the Lost Skeleton of Cadavra, and I I just recently I think had seen uh, Trail of the Screaming Forehead, and yep. I just loved all the actors in it, and yeah. we had our table read. And I, and I was sitting there with all these actors that I just admire so much from these other movies. And, like uh, geeking out, right? <laughs> I, it was great. And I got to have like a little bit of a, um, not quite romance with Faye Masterson in it. And it was great, you know, fighting a monster uh, in a movie. I, I, I loved, uh, I've always wanted to do that my whole life. Yeah. And so um, the only tough part was that after I, I fight the Growlmanopodon, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I succumb to that. Uh, I'm laying there on the grass and uh, doing my 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 death scene. And uh, the problem is, it's it's uh, this place called Sable Ranch. It's up in the Santa Clarita Valley, and there's a lot of areas that are very rough, have a lot of brush and wildlife and so forth. And and uh, so I'm laying there in the grass for a long time because because when movie making takes a long time, you have to do yeah. all different shots and so forth. And but the the it, it was fine except for the ants. There were ants all over the oh, place, God. And, and so they're oh, crawling my onto my legs oh, and, and and onto just my shoulders, <laughs> just brushing them off as much as I can. I, luckily, they weren't like biting ants, but it's still you know annoying. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You're just laying there trying to, you know, just be ready and uh but yeah, I, all these ants I, I mean, had other plans. I just love I just loved it. I loved I loved having a death scene. I loved fighting a monster. I loved doing scenes with, with <laughs> Faye Masterson uh and, and Larry and the and yeah. Brian Howe. It was just fantastic. Yeah. It was a great experience. I would do it again yeah. in a heartbeat. In a That's heartbeat super if fun. uh if uh well, I mean, if if he ever gets the third one made, I mean, he's just going to bring you back as a as another twin. I mean, that's that's it's been established now. <laughs> he actually had another idea about that that uh, I was going to be in the film for sure, and uh, and you know, I don't know if he'll will ever make that movie, but mm -hmm. um, uh, he had a he had a very funny idea, which is that the 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 skeleton the lost skeleton, the obnoxious bony one. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> he, you know, he's just, he's a broken skull and, uh, you know, at the end of the second movie. And, and so that's all that's left of him. And so he gets this scientist lady to put his skull inside my body. And so I'm through the whole movie. I'm walking around. I'm now the lost skeleton. Um, and, uh, and it was going to be, right. they were going to actually, you know, make, make a, a, uh, a, uh, a dummy head for me that you know you could open up and the skull you know the skeleton face would uh -huh. be inside of it and all that uh -huh. kind of stuff. And that it was oh, really wacky. I was going to have to really basically Buster Keaton it, you know, through the yeah. whole movie and just basically yeah. act with the with the eye movements yeah. and uh, right. Uh, so, but uh, you know, yeah, we tried to we tried to raise <laughs> the money and it, it costs yeah. a lot of money to make a movie, even a low budget yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah no, I, rem I remember sure. that. I remember that Kickstarter. So yeah. um, interesting stuff, interesting stuff. And all this kind of segues sort of perfectly into your your movie you were just in, which is called Rock and Doris 
try to write a movie. They try to. Um, Rock Rock and Doris. This movie features some of the cast members from the movies we were just talking about. And Mm -hmm. also, you are, uh, I have to believe, maybe not Buster Keating it, Keatoning it, but you are pantomiming a mute character. Right? This is is a different sort of uh, skill set. Yep. So, so uh, please uh, talk to us about Rock and Doris, Frank. Yeah, I'd love to. Hear. Uh, we are we are legitimately really excited for this. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it was written and directed by Mike Schlesinger, who was one of the producers of Lost Skeleton Returns Again, and right, um, and 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 uh, Forehead and Forehead Dark Stormy and- Night. Um, and I had done a short of his a uh, few years ago. Um, he did this bunch of shorts of these this Biffle and Schuster characters, and uh, okay. very much like Rock and Doris, set in another time period. You know that, that one. Oh, like okay. Biffle and Schuster is what when I first when uh, I first heard about Rock and Doris is what I thought of. I, I mm-hmm. thought of, of of Biffle and Schuster because I had seen that previously when looking up some of the crew of of the Blamire movies and and seeing what other things had been done as a troupe. So so that's that's funny. So that's just they're just you know meant to be very similar concepts. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's Mike. It's nice. Mike. Mike is um, uh, he is a lover of old comedies. You know, from the you know. 30s and 40s in, in particular, he he loves them. His favorite movie is It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And um, he he loves that kind of goofy, madcap humor, um, which is exactly Biffle and Schuster was a lot like an Abbott and Costello short or, you know, or Lowell and Hardy short. And um, and this is a this is a full length feature um, that uh, is Very set cool. in 1961. Um, so not, not as far back, but, um, but I, he was, he, Mike was great. He gave me in, in the Biffle and Schuster short, he gave me a role that I don't think anybody else would have ever given me. Um, I, I was playing a, 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 you know, a 1940s, um, very flamboyant detective, um, okay. in scenes opposite, um, Robert Forster and, and some of my cohorts from, uh, Lost Skeleton. Um, a very, very different kind of character for me. Um, the, you know, not anything like Reed Pappen for sure. Um, yeah. and I loved every minute of it. It was a blast. And, uh, and, uh, then, then this weird thing happened. I didn't even know Mike was making a feature and Chris Wallace, who you might know, um, is the special effect genius who created the gremlins and he won an Oscar for the fly. Oh, wow. Um, he, okay. he, wow. he had built, and he's an old friend of mine. And, and oh, did I drop that name? Sorry. Oh, there you did. Uh, there we go. <laughs> pick it up. Um, pick that up. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he he called me up and he, he was like, hey, look, Mike Schlesinger's now making a feature and he, he wants me to be the gorilla in it. Um, and because Chris has this great like, old fashioned gorilla suit. That he wore in one of the Biffle and Schuster suits, but the oh. thing is, Chris said that uh, he had had some uh, knee surgery or something like that, and he physically he didn't feel like he was up for it. So he asked me if I would take over the role of the gorilla. And when Mike found out that that it was going to be me, he was thrilled because we have a long relationship working together, mm-hmm. and he knows that you know I would I would put 
um, 110% into, into doing it. And I mean, it's kind of a bucket list thing. I was going to say, especially, you know, Trish Geiger and I made beast wishes and yes, which was right. you know, about Bob and Kathy Burns. And one yeah, of the things a, that Bob was famous for was, was p being a gorilla, being Kogar right. the gorilla, and then Tracy the gorilla on the right. uh, the old uh, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters live action series from the seventies. Beast Wishes is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. I really, I really have to hand it to you for for your work on that because it was so incredibly interesting to learn all about the burns and and how much love there is for them and how much they've brought so many different creative people together and like hearing you candidly just mention earlier about being in the halloween specials after mm -hmm. having watched that and seen that right. it's like it's such a real like memory it's a real performance for you those things were so just celebrated in like a like a wonderful one-of-a-kind thing so thank you so yeah. much for making that documentary it really is ah such a cool cool world to have a look into and to to see the love for these people really did amazing amazing job with that one well it was uh, you know trish geiger and i it was our first the first thing that we did together um uh and i had worked with her on dark and stormy night and on on lost skeleton returns mm -hmm. um and you know we trish had never met bob until the one day he worked on uh on dark and stormy night we just had a little cameo as as uh, Tracy or Kogar the gorilla, whichever one. Right, right. Um, and um, and she had no idea about his whole history and his museum and all this kind of stuff. So we went over to wow. um, I lived. I actually at the time lived right around the corner from Bob and Kathy. Um, oh, wow. I mean, I could throw a rock and hit their house, and I often did. Um, uh, but, uh, I brought Trish over there to, we were going to do a little interview with, with Bob. And during that, she said, she, Trish was like, I was watching Kathy and watching like her reactions and, and her chiming in on things. And she was just like, I think that we should, we need to tell their story. And yeah. I, was, I, I was just like, yeah, I hadn't even thought of it because I always assumed that somebody like you know, John Landis or Joe, Joe Dante, you know, somebody like that, Rick Baker, right. you know, you know, they would make that movie. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then all of a sudden it was me <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and Trish and Trish. Um, and it was amazing. You know, these people were so beloved and, yeah. uh, the, I mean, when we announced we were doing this, it's like people came out of the woodwork offering to help. They offered, uh, you know, money they offered. Uh, Rick Baker offered his his studio to uh, that we could shoot the interviews at. Um, uh, you know, it, it was it was quite amazing how many people just were like, "How can I help? How can I help?" Mm -hmm. And yeah. and I I always said uh, when I thought about it after the fact, I I and I said this to Trish. You know, the, the great part about this was is that for just at least a couple of months. The, you know, you and I got to know what it's like to be Bob and Kathy Burns, <laughs> you know, just people offering up things and showing yeah. the love. And, and yeah. So it was, it was great. And, you know, we we won a lot of awards for that, um, yeah. uh, including the Rondo Award for, you know, yeah. which was, big you know, big thrill. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, had, I had won 
Rondo Awards years earlier for my artwork, but like this was really special because this was well, not a fact. You actually won the very first year there was a Rondo Awards, the Rondo Hatton Awards. I read this today. You won the very first ever Rondo Hatton Award for uh, for your art. Yeah, you were artist the of the artist. year. Yeah, and the, the great thing about that was. I I had no I didn't lobby for that I didn't even think about it and some and somebody just basically the night they were announced you know one of my friends I think it was Dr. Gangrene out of Nashville uh, Larry oh, Underwood that one he, too uh -oh. yep <laughs> where is that he uh, but he sent me a message he was just like he was like dude you, you just won Artist of the Year and I was like what like I had, I had no idea I was I was Man. of course. I, I was like, what, what do you mean? Basil Gogos didn't win? Uh, you know, right, right, when, right. How did he win? How is this possible? Right. Um, and, uh, but it was, it was a, it was a real thrill. Um, and when, and I won the, I won the next year, and then the third year, I basically told everybody, please don't vote for me anymore. Like uh, other people need to, <laughs> to win. Right. Right. And, wow. and and who won in the third year? And I got to basically hand the the, tra the trophy to Basil Gogos. <laughs> <laughs> you called it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it's wonderful. You know, I've I've seen you know there a lot a lot of other people have won over the years. God, it's been 20, 20 something years, I yeah. guess now. Wow. Yeah, two thousand and two. And I love to see new artists come up and you know surprise me. Um, and, and you know all different kinds too. There's a guy who calls who calls himself Andy Social, and he's got a he's got a Redbubble shop, and he does these fantastic caricatures of from monster movies, horror movies, sci-fi movies. That and he actually did one of me um, from Black oh, Roses. because nice. nice. he was at a, he was at Monster Palooza one year. And I'm, I'm like, nice. I, my eyes went right to his stuff. I was like, this stuff is great. And I started looking yeah. through the pile of what he had. And suddenly I was like, holy shit, this is me. This <laughs> is me. <laughs> what uh, am I doing uh, on your table? Yeah. It was, it was, it's like me and, and Sal Viviano. And it says, it says, let's, let's make Blood City across the bottom of it. But oh, it's wow. just marvelous, marvelous work. Oh, I love wow. seeing it. I love it. Yeah, there I, there yeah. are a lot of uh, you know, I, I have just this, you know, deep, deep love for the old poster art of the, you know, back in the day, especially like going all the way back, just just adore poster art. There's just something about it. And yeah. um it's it's great to see how many people are currently working, like bringing that back, you know, celebrating, you know, all these, you know, in universal monster pantheon characters sure and you start to see like some deeper cuts and everything there's a there's a great uh a great artist i follow on facebook i've followed for a number of years doug pagosh he is he is one of my favorite uh artists currently working today just just throwing it out there his his company is retro agogo and i just i have numerous doug pagoshes on my wall and they, i just shout him out whenever i can he's amazing cool. um awesome awesome stuff so you're an artist you won all these awards beast wishes like i just feel like after after you did that you know put, poured your heart and soul into telling the story of this adorable couple who let's be let's be real clearly are known 
very well yeah, in far and the wide. area, but not necessarily as well outside. I I was aware of Bob Burns. I like I knew of Bob and I and I knew of Paul Blaisdell and but like I I knew like 2% of what was in that documentary. I knew he was a guy who used to do movies and and had a, you know, his house is a museum where people come to see him. I don't know. That's yeah. that's about as much as I knew. And um, and it was really fascinating. So for you to have done this and told their story and then to be the gorilla like this had to be like you said, it was a bucket list. Did you call Bob and were you like, hey, hey, guess what? Uh, well, actually, uh, John Goodwin who uh, is an Emmy winning makeup artist who is a, a, a friend of ours, both of Bob and uh, he he actually helped. Uh, Chris Wayless, um, when Chris played the gorilla in the Biffle and Schuster short, and then John was there for me when we did okay. Rock and Doris. Um, he told Bob that uh, that I was in a gorilla suit. I, he think he said he was having lunch with Bob and um, and Rick Baker, and uh. Rick Baker was just like, "What? Frank's it? Frank's in a gorilla suit now?" And <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so that oh, was man. that was exciting. But uh, you know. I'm thrilled that I got the chance to do that. Um, I don't know if I'd do it again. I'm getting kind of old. <laughs> I was in that suit for six days, and uh, oh. it, takes, it takes its fall, let me tell you. I slept um, in that suit, man. <laughs> practically. Um, but, um, I, you know, I, I, I only wish I wish that Kathy could have seen me in it. Yeah. She would have yeah. yeah. really, really, she would have really enjoyed it. Uh, she, she would have really loved it for sure. Yeah. You know, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just awesome. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what the movie's about? How, yeah. What do we have to look forward to? When can we see this? You said it was feature length, which is actually one of my questions because I I couldn't really find that information online. I'm like, not really sure. Is this a short? I, I kept hoping it was. It was not a short. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, this, it, this was kind of new for for Michael um, to. Um, uh, I, I mean, because he'd made all the Biffle and Schuster shorts, and clearly, I mean, he'd worked on producing Blemeyer's movies. But you know, this is this was really his thing. You know, it, he wrote it, um, uh, he directed it. Um, it was based it was based on a on a a serious work, and he made a comedy. I forget the name of it now. Seven Seven Days of Bald Pate or something like that. Um, forgive me, Michael, for not remembering the name of it. But but he turned it into this wacky comedy. It, I mean, very old school humor. So there's no there's no sex jokes. There's no you know scat jokes. There's nothing nothing like that at all. It's all just fun, funny stuff. Um, uh, you know that you don't really see much anymore. Everything everything like every comedy show on television in prime time now or on network and cable and whatever, you know, they all, they have to pepper it with, with, you know, sexuality and, and, you know, um, uh, you know that kind of stuff. And, um, and the, or the language, I, or, I'm, I don't mind it yeah. at all, but I'm saying is that like, uh, that That's old style this. of comedy just doesn't really exist that much anymore. So Mike, Mike, it's Mike's mission to make that happen. And, and it basically it's about these two writers, television writers, they really want to do a break out of television, do a feature. They go to the head of the studio and he makes a deal with them. He says, if you can write a movie, a whole feature movie in 24 hours, I will let you uh, make the movie. 
Um, and so they, and so he sends them up to a little cottage up in Ojai, and then all hell breaks loose. Basically, <laughs> all these different characters start showing up because apparently there's there's a stash of money hidden somewhere in the house, and all these different kind, you know, gangsters are trying to get at it, and these you know, con like people just sideswiping their day, like and, stopping them oh, from writing this. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's wacky as hell, and a gorilla shows up, you know. And and you it's know, kind of funny because, you know, at no point do they ever say that it's not a real gorilla. Like it's they they never say that it's a guy in a suit. So it is supposed to be an actual gorilla <laughs> in, this, in this weird <laughs> setting. And I get to do a lot of really really funny stuff and and got to work with Marilu Henner, who I've yeah. always loved on Taxi, and Joe right. Rigobudo from Murphy Brown. Right. Um, Jim Beaver from you know Deadwood oh. and Supernatural and Breaking oh, Bad and yeah, Paul yeah, Stahl. Jim Beaver's oh, awesome. Jim, I've worked with Jim before on on such a, a big fan of Jim, things, but and he's he's wonderfully funny guy actually, um, and um, yeah, I mean it was um, a lot of a lot just like Blumeyer, it felt just like Blumeyer's movies because you know a lot of the cast members were the same and mm -hmm. the, the comedy was was you know very similar in tone so. Hmm. Um, I was just so, so happy to fill in Chris Wallace's gorilla shoes, uh, you know, for, for, <laughs> fill in for those feet. Fill in those yeah. big old uh, feet. <laughs> and, and that suit, oh, let me tell you, I, it's, it's, it's a big suit. Um, it's it, like the shoulder, the shoulders are built up really big and, and, uh, and it's, and it's, there's like. There's one. There's a, a whole body that's that's the legs and the upper torso, mm -hmm. and then um, and then there are arms that slip on and feet that slip on, and then of course the you know the head, and um, it's always hot on a, a soundstage anyway. Um, but when you're under uh, a, a, under a suit like that, yeah. you get you get hot very quickly. I bet. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's why it was great to have John Goodwin always there kind of watching making sure i'm okay and i gotta say too that the uh the first uh, the first ad the, the the assistant director she was one of the best ones i ever worked with and she she and she uh, was also looking out for me she was always making sure i was okay yeah. and that you know if i needed if i needed a, a minute if i needed to get the head nice. off you know to be yeah. able to breathe they were being making absolutely sure that i was safe number one and mm -hmm. that i was as comfortable as I could be, you know, you're in a gorilla suit, you're going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, sure. But I don't know how Bob Burns did it, honestly. <laughs> I think back on all the times that I saw him get into that Kogar suit. It, it's funny, you know, he owned the he owned the time machine, right? You, you saw Beast right. Wishes. Yep. Right, yeah. One there, of the yeah. things in his collection was the actual time machine from the George Powell movie from 1958. Right, right. right. And I, I always said, that I thought the real time machine was the gorilla suit because when he got into that suit, it's like he was he was thirty years old again, and he right, would dance just... around and do all this athletic stuff and be fine with it. And I, I and he was doing he was still doing it when he was in his seventies. Seventies, you know, that's right. amazing. 
it's amazing. Yeah, he's, that, he said in in Beast Wishes, he did mention Dark and Stormy Night as his uh, his swan song. He called it, and mm -hmm. uh, he said that everybody was telling him not to do it. The doctor said, you know, Kathy yeah. said, don't do it. You're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna make it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But he did it. <laughs> but he did it, but he was there for one day. But yeah, I mean, it's got to be really tough to like, you know, if they're not, ch I would think if they're not checking on you, if someone's not really like paying attention and checking on you, it's not like you can read facial cues or body language or anything like that of the guy in the gorilla suit. He probably just melts in the background and you're just like, yeah, uh, no, he's fine. Did you check on it? Do you know he's fine? Like, <laughs> I don't know. His slouch is a little extra slouchy. There's um uh there's a kind of famous story about Rick when he was doing King Kong, um uh, you know in seventy six um seventy five when they were filming it, and um apparently they were shooting the end of the film where he's up on the the the, the miniature um, twin towers right yeah and um they apparently they broke the story as I get it is that they broke for lunch. And the first AD forgot that Rick was up there, and oh everybody went to lunch and him on, on, on top of the set. Um, now I don't know; maybe the story's exaggerated over the years. I'm not sure, but it, but I've heard it from several different people now. And but it, it, the point being <laughs> that it is easy sometimes for people to forget that you're a person in there, right? Uh, right. And that you right. Need it's like to oh, it's just a costume, you know, whatever. It's just like, a prop. Just, you just you're so used to it your I brain stops actively thinking about it yeah, yeah. so so, uh, so anybody who who does this whether it's you know for you know for a living or you know uh whatever i mean they'll tell you um you have to make sure that people are aware and that uh mm -hmm. you know that so that you you don't get hurt and and you don't you don't pass out from the heat um, and you know, and all, all that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. and then make sure that you, you get lunch, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, um, something. somebody bring this I'll guy bring a one great thing too, that, that happened because of rock and Doris try to make a movie. And that is, you know, I've been in, I've acted in movies since, uh, you know, 1985 or so. Um, and I was a stage actor before that. And, and, um, but I never got into SAG because okay. almost, uh, almost oh, all the okay. movies I were in were not SAG signatory, Screen Actors Guild, for those who don't know. Uh, and this movie finally, at my age, got me, in, got me into the Screen Actors <laughs> <All> Guild. <right. laughs> Nailed so it. That, that's a very new thing like that's, that's, that's just kind of happening right now, actually. So I'm, I'm sure so, your friends I, are... Was, are totally not sick of you pulling out that card and showing them we've seen it frank right? we know we've seen so it. now that you're in the screen actors guild you get your own parking spot you know anywhere you go <laughs> yeah i i do it's and it's right out in front of my driveway it's great there yeah nice yeah. and that's everywhere you gotta go you know now that Perfect. is a perk that is a perk yeah, they don't have yeah. they don't have that in boston mass where we are no. that, that's uh <laughs> that's not a thing they do not um, well, that's congratulations on joining the Screen Actors Guild. That's great. No, this this seems like a really fun movie that is truly right up our alley. Yeah, I can't wait to, to get us. to watch yeah. it. Is it um, so? So is it going to be theatrical, like released in cinemas, or just like online streaming? Well, my guess is that Mike uh, will do everything he can 
to uh, get it shown for a, for at least a week in theaters. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because that's how you you can get um, uh, nominated for you know the big awards and, yep. and you get reviewed in you know the big newspapers, which you know <laughs> can be a sometimes. bad thing. Yeah. You know? Sometimes. Um, I don't want. I mean, believe me, I I wrote a movie that I I absolutely loved and I thought was hilarious, and the big critics hated it. They, they like, and I'm talking about the big critics, like New York Times, you know, L.A. Times, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Wow. Um, Hollywood Reporter. Uh, they just tore it to pieces, and I was like, "Oh my!" Here's the thing about that, and why it's it's part of the reason I don't listen to critics anymore. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is that I? So that movie played in theaters, right? Um, in several, in like ten different cities, and I basically snuck into three different screenings in three different places and sat in the back and listened to the audience and the audience right loved it they were laughing yeah. they were doing it and and i thought you know isn't that isn't that interesting and you know i like what's it called uh, rotten tomatoes right mm -hmm. when the movie first came out the critic score was like a 14 right and the audience score was an 87. And I said, well, yeah. that dichotomy yeah. says an awful lot, doesn't it? Yeah. So. Well, it's it's funny. I was just talking about this with my wife about how like certain movies that receive critical acclaim and, and, and then are like, you know, not actually enjoyed by fans or vice versa, where it's like critically panned and then enjoyed right. by the fans. And it's like, you've got to wonder, you know, what a critic is evaluating a movie at, whether or not it is deserving of an award, because it's almost as though they're coming from the perspective of every movie is always trying to get an Oscar all the time. And that's just not the case for a lot of movies. A lot of movies have a thing that they're trying to do and they're doing that thing very well. But when you come at it from a totally different perspective of, well, if I'm comparing this against potentials for a best picture or an Oscar, it's horrible. And it's like, well, that's irrelevant. That's not what they're trying to do. You know, they know they're not going to win it all. How did they do in terms of what they're actually going for. I'm like, that's what I want to know about a movie. And that's yeah. that's not what you get from a critical review. Yeah. And I said to my co-writer, Todd Traina, um, uh, who I've worked with on on many, many projects over the years, I, I just, after those, you know, the bad reviews were came out that, on that Friday, I just said, you know, come thinking about it, I don't believe that those top critics were ever going to like a movie called I Hate Kids. <laughs> it just wasn't gonna happen. John was our was our executive producer, and he actually fought against that title. He said he he said really? he didn't think it was a, it was a good title. But every time that we mentioned it to somebody, they laughed. Um, yeah, right. You know, especially if they had kids. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they get it. <laughs> um, I believe we just laughed. In fact, didn't we? Didn't we? Tell yeah. Did we just laugh? I, I, feel like laughing, was, I feel like right? it was a laughing thing. And I, that was, a, you know, that was also a fantastic experience um, because uh, I, the, the director, John Asher, wanted me on set um, at all times um, in case, uh, you know, uh, lines had to be tweaked or uh, on two occasions, he basically came to me and said, hey, you know what, I need, I need a new scene. I need a, I need a bridge a scene that will bridge together this scene and this scene. So can you, and so I would sit there right on the set, you know, with my laptop and come up with a scene. And the cool part was that um, like one of the scenes was between Ray Seahorn, um, who was from Better Call Saul and is 
fabulous, and um, and Rachel Boston, and they were both on set. And so I was able to get just like Ray, Rachel, come here, come here, come here. Like, and I turned the camera and could just read this scene for me. And you know, they were they they would read it, and then I could I could tell if it was going to work or not. Um, so that was that was very cool. Um, and you know, I got cool. I got Marissa Tomei was in it, and and uh, I, Tom Everett Scott, who's an actor that I've always enjoyed, and um, uh, you know. I, I, it was a big thrill for me. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. I still love the movie. Still love the movie. We'll have to check. And Ray Seymour. Yeah. I, 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 here I'm going to drop her name because she's so fabulous. But I, I just saw her again um, at a. Um, it was a Better Call Saul FYC event. They call it, which means for your consideration, where they invite all these different members of the academy to to the television academy to watch an episode and then have a Q and a with the actors and the, and the, and the creators. Um, and, uh, and uh, I, it, she is just one of the nicest people that I've yeah. ever worked with. And I, I was, it's just so happy to see her again at, awesome. at this event. Um, and, and she better win an Emmy for that last season of better call Saul, or there will be rioting in the streets in my opinion. There will be hell that's to pay. <laughs> yeah, I still have to get caught up. Yeah. That shows something. It's a phenomenal yeah. show. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm so behind. I am actually currently going through breaking bad right now. Oh, okay. I just missed the whole thing. Um, no, no specific reason, but my, one of my daughters, um, did had not watched Breaking Bad, and so her, she and her and her boyfriend um, uh, he had already seen it, but they they he decided she needs to see this whole thing so that then then they can watch Better Call Saul together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, and and I sort of watched along with them when it came to Better Call Saul, which I had already seen, and uh, I I could I could see how what the, the the two shows really just you know click together like this and a lot of the same characters and so forth mm -hmm. and and Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould the guys who created both of those shows are in my opinion geniuses like yeah. those shows are so strong and on every level and always surprising and, and the acting you know the level of the acting is way up here and, yeah, and the yeah. writing is way up here and it's it's spectacular i can't wait to see what they what they do next which as i understand is going to be a show that will feature uh the lead will be ray seahorn who was in better oh Call nice Saul. My oh, very cool. okay see yeah. i gotta catch so, up i don't know that you know she's not saying what what it's about yet and yeah i, I think under wraps but i'm excited for it i feel like that show is like and and you know the duality in the differences between breaking bad and uh and better call saul it's like it is such an incredible way to do what you know most people say certain shows just like they you know this is it it's finite and it needs to end there can't be a sequel it's like that's okay there doesn't need to be a sequel but it's still carries the torch from where one was and that's does it in a totally different way and they yeah. don't have to be the same type of show it doesn't right. it doesn't it, it's not in danger of just repeating its tracks like it is a different focus and so that's such an ingenious way to continue on a lineage without making it just a sequel or needing to do you know some kind of common tropes to get 
more out of a concept that said though i think that you know if you had a, a sequel show if the third one doesn't have really likable people doing terrible things like it's not going to feel like the right universe it's, it's <laughs> I mean, that, right. that's the one thing it's like okay we gotta we gotta like these people but they're doing bad stuff if they just yeah, want to take yeah. care uh that's not gonna cut it <laughs> yeah they, well you know yeah. compared to uh compared to succession better call saul is like Gidget goes to you know Hawaii. So <laughs> I haven't seen Succession. Is that a, oh, is that a that is one? A, that's a brutal, brutal show without having any violence in it. It's all character driven, and it is just you just go. These are the most horrible people I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh my god, <laughs> you people are the worst. But, but the writing is so good, yeah, that it captivates you. You know that that even even these horrible horrible characters you find fascinating and you find yourself rooting for you know this one or that one or whatever and and that's yeah. it's amazing it's really amazing wow that's good writing you know yeah that's yeah, great that's, writing. that's that is writing. that's that's the best thing right there it is that when resonate. the writing is good enough it doesn't matter if it's your thing or not on paper or whatever it's like when when the writing is good it's like it brings you in regardless mm -hmm. of if it's your mm -hmm. thing or not or whatever yeah. uh and yeah right. that's definitely a huge sign there. So I just want to mention one more thing on Rock and Doris uh, before we <laughs> yeah. before we get into some of your your previous work, which is just all so interesting. I, I want to cover some of it, but um, so we were we were talking about you know how critics are sometimes not seemingly reviewing in good faith and they're not coming at it from the right angle and all that good stuff. Something that I think that this movie looks like it's doing well. <clears throat> we're not we're not using the word pastiche, but it, it's it's a pastiche, right? I mean, so it. I, this is something that I just love so much because the level of detail has to be just so perfect with something like a parody or a pastiche or something like that. And, um, you know, uh, I feel I've, I've had this conversation with other people. I don't know if you've sort of what if you have an opinion on this, Frank, but like it seems to me like it's it's it the, especially with the current generation of TV watchers, the younger generation, the the concept is almost dead. And I think the. The, the moment that I realized that is with that Kristen Bell show that came out on Netflix, which was the the woman across the girl, street from the girl in the window right. or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. and, and like I kept hearing all these. Now, before I even knew what that was, somebody somebody taught, you know, it was like the week that it came out because that's how it happens. You know, the week that something comes out on Netflix or wherever, you know, everybody's watching that. And so like everybody's talking about this and and I said my first instinct was I'm like oh this is a comedy that's a comedy title. So I I said to somebody who mentioned it that they had been watching it I said oh is it funny? And they said what? No, it's not a comedy. It's a, it's serious. It's like a drama and I'm like what? It can't with that title that's got to be a comedy. And they're like no, it's not a comedy. So anyway, so then I I come home a couple days later my daughters had binged the whole thing and i'm like oh is it funny and they're like what are you talking about it's not a comedy so i sat down they were on the last episode so i sat down and watched it have you seen it frank i saw but not all of it right i saw my family was watching it so i it's pretty, it. it's pretty oh, short honestly it's it's uh it's, it's done by the the guy who did heathers um right yeah so anyway it was it was 
we're sit, we're, we sit, I sit down. They're already watching it. They're like, oh, this is the last episode. You don't want to start here. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'm probably not even like this. I, I, I was laughing my butt off, right? I'm like laughing the whole time. And both of them are looking at me like, I'm insane. I, I don't understand. Why would you laugh at this serious, awful stuff? And, uh, and I'm like, you guys don't get it. It's like, this is this is really funny like how can you not understand that when the the wine glass is this big that this is like yeah. this is your this is your commentary on society this is a joke it's a joke and uh so anyway you know this sort of sort of idea of like people don't understand parody anymore kind of occurred to me but i i wonder if stuff like rock and doris is unfairly would be unfairly judged i hope it's not but um i think that it's extra hard when you're a pastiche when you're a parody in this day and age um i do remember that a few years ago when that movie the artist came out there was a the black and white silent film yeah right like that was that was critically acclaimed that was like a big deal and i thought my god i mean it was wonderful it was great but I'm like, this is this is not the type of movie that generally gets critical acclaim. It's a pastiche. So I don't know. There, that's my that's my rant on that. I don't know if you have any uh, anything to add on that. Well, you know what? It, uh, it isn't. It doesn't. It's not addressing that directly. But I'll tell you what. It reminds me of mm -hmm. somebody asked me what makes a good horror comedy. And I, you know, I, I've said many, many times over the years that Abbott and Costello and Me Frankenstein was the first movie I saw. It's the movie that made me fall in love with monsters, with movies, with you know, made me want to work in this business even when I was six. You know, um, but um, I was, I, I, I thought about it, and I realized that it's, it's about the perspective that that the filmmaker takes, because the the ones that I find work the best. Uh, and are successful are the horror comedies where the monsters or the villain or whatever are played straight and that the comedy is all character driven and not slapstick, not whack, you know, not like wacky, you know, it's like that the yep. humor is, I mean, it's why, I mean, I consider Fright Night, Tom Holland's Fright Night, a comedy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And yes. Yes. Filled with these wonderful, funny moments through the entire yep. thing, mm -hmm. and the monster, the vampire, Jerry Dandridge, is played yes. completely straight. He's yep. scary. Totally straight. Yep. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's, you know, there's quite a few. I mean, American Werewolf in London. Also, mm -hmm. the monster is scary. It's filled with humor. There's a lot of humor in it. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, Joe Dante's The Howling. Uh, also, uh, you know, there's a lot of examples. Um, and to me, you know all started with Abbott and Costello. Uh, and mm. the uh, the additional Abbott and Costello monster movies aren't as aren't as successful because they stopped playing the monsters as 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 dangerous. As straight actually monsters. dangerous things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they lost that authentic, you know, horror element and yeah. it just became right. about the horror yeah. comedy. Mm -hmm. And then you you know, but then you get a you know you get a movie like Saturday the Fourteenth or yeah, or Transylvania Six Five Thousand or whatever that oh. these movies where it's just it's played so broad and it and and it's different than like Mel Brooks and Young Frankenstein because mm -hmm. because 
you know, Young Frankenstein is is a parody, a specific parody of a yeah. spe of specific movies. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a different situation, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I know this is a this tangent way off of what you. No, were no, no problem. It's all good we love stuff. getting derailed on the show. Yeah, no, it just popped into my mind with with what you were what you were talking about about it just yeah. coming coming from a different you know different perspective yeah. you almost feel like you know you you don't actually when you see a review that misses the point so utterly it's almost like the, the, well the example that i always come up with was you know i'm like well i i don't like country music so me saying this country music album is bad means nothing it means nothing right. i don't like any of them it's pointless why say that right, there's no reason for me to mention that so it's it's sort of like that. It's what it always makes me think of is is that. Mm -hmm. But um, but it it's, it was great to hear what you just said about um. I was wondering, like, I was going to ask, what was the movie that made you a monster kid? And it's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, oh, which of course absolutely. is. I mean, you know, it's still it still absolutely holds up. And I mm -hmm. am just kind of a uh, I'm kind of a Lugosi fanatic. I. I, I don't love him like unabashedly. Like I sort of love him warts and all, and I, I sort of just think he's such a tragic uh, figure, and I'm just fascinated, uh, fascinated by him. So whenever he's involved, uh, you know, the the enjoyment level is just enhanced through the roof for me. It's so great to see him in that movie when, like, when he gets oh, out of the casket, and then he and he keeps getting back in the casket. And I don't know. It's just it's just so great. Like. Playing it straight. There's only one moment in the movie that is where the monster is is portrayed as less than threatening, and there's a but it's 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 an important moment in that movie because um, it's a moment when uh, uh, Count Dracula revives the monster and the monster gets up and 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 uh, Wilbur Lou Costello is mm -hmm. standing there in the room and he's he's in a trance. And uh, or he's pretending to be in a trance now because uh, you know, and Dracula is bringing the monster past him, and suddenly, and the monster looks at Costello and goes, oh, like he's afraid of, of Costello, right? Okay, and that's right, a right. moment for the Frankenstein monster, but yeah, it's an important moment because what it does is it says to the little because it happens early on in the movie, it says to the kids watching this movie for the first time that. Everything's going to be okay, mm -hmm. you know. Right. It's going to be right. You know? uh, and and uh, and it, and it works. I mean, it was brilliant yeah. on the on the part of the filmmakers to to do right. that. Right, ease their minds, and, and then, you know, in that one moment. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of that movie is that it was, you know, it was created to basically end the the Universal monster films and and Abbott and Costello whose movies were were you know not doing so well anymore in the box office right and so they all oh, let's put them together we kill them both off you know two birds and one stone <laughs> but ironically what it did was it it became a portal to new generations to discover who the, these characters are you know, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, Dracula, uh, you know, find out who those characters are in a in a in a very um soft way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and thereby creating new fans of the movies and continuing their life in cinema. Um, mm -hmm. yep. you know, hopefully forever. Um, and it's part it's another reason that I, I just have so much love 
for that movie. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's so funny too, because like, I can trace almost everything that I've done back to that movie somehow. I mean, my, you know, I mostly write comedies, right? And that was one of the first comedies I can remember seeing, right? Uh, my love of monsters, obviously, um, you know, comes from there. Um, animation. The very opening of the movie is animated. Yes. By, um, uh, not by Walter Lance, which everybody thought for years, but by one of the Fleischer brothers. Um, uh, and it, you know, it has an animated Frankenstein come in and knock on these coffins and Bud and Lou come out as skeletons yep. and they scream and run away. And, and, and it's, it's beautifully done. Um, yeah. And, you know, at, and again, something that I saw very young that I ended up being a part of later in life. So um, uh, that movie will, will forever be, remain my favorite movie of all time. Isn't it funny? I watch it at least once a year. At least. Yeah, that's that's so special. That's so cool. You know, yeah. that like it really became like this core memory, this like, you know, defining thing yeah, that had yeah. so many elements. And it's also fascinating to hear that it was kind of done as like this this last ditch Hail Mary send off for these two things and then just was kind of like a shot of adrenaline for both yeah. of them in a way that wasn't expected. Life. You know, yeah. sometimes you just say, ah, oh, whatever, a swing for the fence, just throw it all in there. And it ends up being a, a humongous, a humongous hit. Yeah, that's that's really cool. cool. And Lugosi, by the way, is, in my opinion, he's mm -hmm. way better as Dracula in that movie than he is in the original 1931 movie. Uh, and because, <laughs> and the reason is that I know a lot of people hate me for that, but my point is that, you know, in 1931, Lugosi was still new to film. You know, he was a yeah. stage actor. Stage, yeah. And you watched, you watched the original 1931 Dracula, which I love, mind you. But, you know, he's playing to the back seats. Hmm. He's, not, he's not playing to the camera. He's, he's like, you know, his, all of his diction and everything like that is all just overplayed. It's very big. And oh, way bigger yeah. than, than it needs to be. And and basically yeah. what happened in the 17 years between those two movies is that Lugosi got very good at being a film actor and, mm -hmm. you know, understood how how you could, you know, how little you need to do when the camera right. is on you. Um, right. And so his, his performance yeah. in that movie is is that and, and maybe Igor in Son of Frankenstein are my two favorite performances of, of his mm -hmm. entire career. Uh, I, well, it's, you know, they're fabulous yeah it's it's funny um i you know i i love him in the black hat the most but like no. you know he <laughs> he he doesn't get that much to do in dracula that's the that is has always been my problem with dracula even the book is that uh he's the best at the beginning uh that's when he gets all the lines that's when he gets you know all the all the great scenes that you know that you can quote the you know i don't drink wine the children of the night, you know, all the stuff that that gets quoted. It's like, yeah, that's in that one scene, dude. Like, that's mm -hmm. it. Everything else is just, you know, he's lurking. He's a force of nature. He's an antagonistic force. That's it. He's not much of a character for the rest of the whole thing. And it's not Lugosi's fault. And they gave him some extra scenes that aren't even quite as you know, as hammy or whatever. Like when he gets uh, Sloan shows him the the mirror. You know, yeah. and, and he, he has the big, big reaction, like you're saying, playing to the cheap seats. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think he I think he did get get quite good. He was he was good and he was very good in the Invisible Ray. 
Um, oh no, he's, he's he he got better very very quickly, and hmm, you know yeah. uh, the black cat is is just so fabulous, and and there's so many lines in that that are just you know just make me smile every time. Yeah. I mean the, the baloney line is the is the killer, you know. My my it's, favorite um, is uh it's it's got my favorite uh, Karloff line of all time, which is when when uh <laughs> when he picks up the phone and he goes, yeah, the phone <laughs> is dead. Even the phone is dead. <laughs> oh, that's marvelous. Oh, it's, a, it's a great film. It's a great it, film. It, it is a great, and, and uh, you know, they get to, they get to fight in the end. And it, uh, if you have, if in the, in the listening audience, if you like old movies, if you like Dracula and Frankenstein, you like Carl, Karloff, Lugosi type stuff, check out the black cat. If you haven't seen it, yeah. it's uh, I believe it's 1935. It's pretty old. But yes. it was back in their, yes. uh, mm-hmm. back in their heyday, and they, you know, it, there's a there's a lot of fun stuff about that movie too, like the the promotion that uh, Universal came up with with the two of them judging a black the best black cat contest. Oh yeah, those photos, photos are that. fabulous. I only the recently two. saw those for the first time, like not that long ago, um, yeah. uh, and I was just like, this is I, I was I uh, my dear very dear friend Danya. Um, Linehan is a vet and she has she has 14 cats and so anytime that I find something that has a lot of cats I have to of course send it to her um, immediately and uh, so I was overjoyed when I finally found those uh, those photos from can you imagine that though can you imagine that like the two of them and they're there and they're judging uh, like which black cat is the best it blow it literally I can't even wrap my brain around how awesome that is that is the funniest craziest thing like I wonder did they hate it I feel like Lugosi loved it and Karloff maybe didn't I don't know like I can't quite tell but uh, mm. who knows? Who knows? It's just wonderful. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, so we, you know, we've been on the, we've been, okay, we've been on the monster stuff uh, for a little bit. Let's let's swing things around. You mentioned the uh, the animated opening of of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein being part of how that resonated with you, and then of course you later became a Disney animator, which is like a pretty big deal. Pretty darn exciting, yeah. I, it surprised me too, believe me. <laughs> like, um, I always loved animation and anything, any kind of animation, whether it was, you know, 2D, um, stop mo- I mean, when I was growing up, there wasn't CG yet, obviously, but, but, sure. you know, any movie that had any kind of animation in it, I was fascinated by. Love and it. I, yeah, yeah, me I, too. If it was like one scene, I'd wait the, there's a movie called um, the, the, the Beast uh, of Hollow Mountain. Yes, uh, and yes. T-Rex and the cowboy. It's a movie. Yeah, it's about it's about ca- Mexican cattle ranchers. Yeah, and at the yeah. very end of the movie, the it very end, yeah. and <laughs> <Yes>. but <laughs> I mean, literally at the very end of the movie, it's yeah. like the last like, six minutes, yeah. I think, right? So funny. And um, but I would sit through all that boring drama of the cattle ranchers for the whole you know yeah. hour and ten minutes or whatever just to see that animated t-rex yeah. at the end of the movie um that, man the yeah. patience that 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 was had 
at a time before now, right? I mean, people well, can't even get through a 15-second video right now to get to the true. joke at the end. That's and true. you used to watch a full movie just for the six minutes of cartoon at the end. I well, mean, absolutely. we're in totally different ballparks here. Well, I mean, what no. Frank is describing, though, Tim, like, to be fair, is is the life of a Godzilla fan, right? I mean, it like, is. that's... Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%, right? Yeah. Like, the patience is there. I'm like, I don't I mean, really that's care all about I care about. Japanese I government. I just want to uh, see Godzilla. I don't care about around. any of these stupid right. humans or the aliens or anything i just the aliens that look like humans just give me the, the yeah. yeah yeah the pay the patience is real yeah i know it's just it's so funny the difference but yeah i well i didn't know i didn't know how i mean i knew how animation worked i mean i knew mm -hmm. you know it was you know drawings frame by frame you know shot to create the illusion of life or whatever but i've never done it i didn't know really you know what the intricacies were of doing it and um what happened was uh, my wife had gotten a job at Disney Animation in casting. Um, she was casting voices for the movies that were coming up. So she was oh, casting cool. Hunchback, I think, and, and Hercules. And and, uh, uh, and she called me up one day and she was just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what they do here. You know, I, I'm looking at the cleanup artists. And she said, you could do this. Like you really, you could probably be really good at this. And I was just like, well, I never really thought about it. So they, um, they were accepting portfolios um, because, because, uh, <laughs> um, oh God, well, blank in his name now, um, DreamWorks. Um, Spielberg? No, 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 not, not Spielberg. Um, uh, Katzenberg, Jeffrey. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, he, I mean, know, sometimes he had, the craziest stuff goes out of your head, right? I mean, you're like, happens, "What's that right? thing you put on hot dogs?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you're just like, um, "Wait, uh, how did you brain fart on that?" Know, Jeffrey had left Disney to 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 start DreamWorks with with Stephen and Peter Guru, whoever else, and um and he was poaching artists from Disney to go work at DreamWorks. You know, he's dangling big, very big carrots to get them over there. So now Disney was was down artists needed new artists so they were accepting portfolios to you know for people to you know possibly get into the uh, training program there and so I had to very very quickly take courses of the at the animation uh, guild and which luckily they offered to the public you had to pay for them but and learned how to do cleanup animation mm. And then, and then put it very quick, as quick as I could. And I took, and I took other, you know, other dr uh, uh, drawing classes like gesture drawing and life drawing, because they told me that, you know, I had somebody on the inside who knew that that's what they want to see. Like when you bring a portfolio to Walt Disney Animation Studios, the last thing that they want to see is drawings of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy. Like right. they don't care that you can trace, you know, a character yeah. that they've already created. They want to see that you can draw. You could actually yeah. draw. They want to see gesture drawing, life drawing, you know, nude models, clothes models, animal animal drawings, like from the zoo. Um, oh, a dog just walked in. Pardon me. And, um, <laughs> and and so luckily I knew that ahead of time. So I was able to put together this this you know this portfolio. I submitted it. And they 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 accepted me into the training program, and so I got thrown into this training program <laughs> with about I'd say I don't know fifteen or sixteen other kids who had just come out of Cal Arts 
and we basically went from you know graduated oh CalArts right into the training program at Disney wow. because that's what mm -hmm. CalArts is for to basically you know train people to go work at Disney. Created CalArts, so um, and so I found myself in this class with all these kids who were half my age. Right, we figured out there was there was one kid in the class who I literally could have been his father. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, they were all great. They were all, you know, very accepting of the old guy. You know, I think yeah. I, I think I was thirty-five or something like that at the time, or something like that. And um, and you know, all of us uh, passed the the test at the end of the training. It was I remember how many weeks the training was? It was a lot. And then and then they we had to pass a test at the end that was two day, two days long. The test. We had two days to to do this one scene and hand it in, and um, everybody got in, which was which was super cool. We all started wow. immediately. The next day, started working on Hercules. Wow! Uh, and I, what's really fun is that the very first scene that I was handed to to clean up was actually a scene of three monsters falling on top of each other, and I thought, <laughs> how perfect is that? <laughs> that is perfect it's all kismet perfect. it's all meant to be yeah, yeah. so yeah. so can you explain um to us and also the audience like now i there are different types of animators different types of animation jobs at some some place like disney so you keep mentioning uh cleanup artists there's also you've worked as a as an in-betweener an in-between artist or breakdown artist can you kind of go through that and sort of explain what the difference is Okay, so so an in betweener and a breakdown artist um, are both under the under the the title of cleanup artist. So oh, okay. what is a cleanup? So a cleanup artist is the artist who takes the rough animation from the from the like the lead animators, the guys who who do the actual acting, if you will, right? Okay, and then what our job is is to um, then draw over those rough drawings. Sometimes they're very, very rough, very loose, but you, you have to be able to recognize wh what the action is that's happening and then translate that into the a nice, clean line that will then get, that's, that's the, those are the, the those are the, pay, the, the drawings that are going to get shot and scanned and end up on the big screen in the movie. Um, right. But it's not, it, it 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 probably sounds simpler than it is because it, it it it's really it's it's a skill that you really have to learn because you have to be able to interpret what the what the rough animator is trying to have happen um and and you have to keep the character that you're working on what uh, what do they call it uh, being on model meaning that the character is going to look the same as you know, in the first frame of the movie, as as a last, unless that's a character that goes through a big change, obviously, but right, but it has to be consistent. Um, right. The characters' volumes have to be consistent. The shape of their eyes have to be consistent. You know, and the rough animators don't always pay attention to that because they're more interested in getting the action in and getting the right. acting, in. and right. they leave it up to us, the cleanup department to make sure that all those volumes are the same and that, you know, that, that, um, you know, the character, uh, is, is on model and, and is gonna, is gonna look correct, um, mm. uh, from scene to scene in the movie. Right. So it's very often, 
we would when we get on a movie we get assigned a character a particular character and you stay with that character or characters um throughout the course of the film so for example on tarzan um i was assigned to the character of kala who is um uh, tarzan's adopted mother, mother right. uh, the gorilla and and yeah. she uh, was voiced by glenn close and yeah. uh and i so i that was my character and and for that whole year of working on that movie that's who i drew um occasionally some other team will um they'll have a, a, an exceptionally large scene or something and they'll you know, we'll help them out, but but mostly, you, you know, we would be responsible to make sure that that character looks correct. Um, wow. And, you know, it's kind of cool because our drawings are the ones that are on that giant screen at the end of the yeah. day, you know? Yeah. Um, um, so you work, but you work your way up. In betweener is the lowest level. So basically, you're, if it's like, um, uh, if there's, if you've got two drawings uh, and in between that, there's going to be two drawings and in between that there's going to be two drawings so you're you're the in-betweeners are the ones who are getting the <laughs> i want to say the easiest ones but the ones that require the least amount of complexity mm -hmm. um okay. and and then as you learn and you get better you you move up to break down and then i was actually at assistant um assistant level which is which is the third level um but the the uh, at that point because of what was happening at Disney, there was a higher, there was a, a a freeze on having people move up the ladder and so forth. So yeah. even though I was working at the assistant level, I was I still was at <laughs> the title of breakdown. Um, yeah. But you know, um, it it was a great job. It was a great yeah, job. Yeah. I mean, I I I was there for so cool. just about just about eight years and um, worked on a lot of great movies. Um, a couple of not so great movies. <laughs> you know, a lot of the ones that uh, that you worked on are, you know, our favorite ones. You know, as we was we alluded to earlier, uh, Tim and myself are brothers, but I'm a lot older. So a lot of these movies were coming out when he was younger, and I was basically the older brother. I was taking him to see them, or we'd go with our parents, or something like that. And uh, I mean, very, very strong memory with uh, Atlantis, the Lost Empire, and I know yeah. you worked on um, Audrey, and uh, yeah. that like her, her, the the thing about so I we love Atlantis and we love Treasure Planet. Yeah, it's one of one of my I, I, favorites. I think that they're just both incredible. Uh, there were, you know, it's it's that pulpy adventure stuff that doesn't really get. Um, put in the spotlight with a lot of the mainstream stuff it's always it's always you know backbenched yeah. but um yeah i mean especially with with how steampunk atlantis was and mm -hmm. um every character in that movie is so different looking it looks like they're almost from their own movie almost every single character and that that was the style and i know that mike mignola was involved in the yeah. design and stuff like that but um, I don't know how much he had to do with the characters as much as the world. Oh, but no, he 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 did a lot of it. I mean, I I remember seeing his drawings of the characters, um, yeah. you know, and then they they would like any time that they they use a particular artist for production design uh, development. Um, inevitably, they're going to Disneyfy it and make them have the kind of look that people are used to for Disney movies. That one did did stretch it. 
it uh, without did. a doubt. Milo looks very Disney, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Kida looks very Disney, and some of the other characters just are very. How yeah, about Helga? Helga. Helga. Helga Saint Clair. Damn. Yep. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna mention her. You know, she. I, I remember uh, there was a an artist that was kind of uh, just like a. I don't know if he's gone on to do bigger stuff, but he was uh, putting stuff on a what's the website? Uh, DeviantArt. DeviantArt. He was oh, a yeah. DeviantArt guy back back when that was more of a, a a big deal or whatever for the indie community. And um, I remember him saying he was he was all Disney style all the time. And uh, I remember he had posts about Helga that she he was like one of his Disney obsessions. And uh, in his opinion, like she was the the greatest Disney character of all time like visually like the way that they realized her specifically and this was not a straight man that was having this opinion either and, and so it wasn't it wasn't like that you know yeah uh, right he just yeah, and, and i and i sort of went and i was like wow really and then i sort of like went back and it's like wow she really is something uh she really is but audrey is something too like she is very you know she has those, those squared off lips and yeah yeah like, she's such she's a distinct design very distinct looking and just absolutely one of the best parts of the movie too. Her floppy like, hat you know like yep. just like, she has this great so, identity so much uh just character in just every bit of her and mm -hmm. uh you know i yeah. i just yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know yeah that was that was a big one that's that's a movie that uh we were always very sad that it and also treasure planet uh are you know that they they didn't commercially do well and were not you know they're kind of panned i mean i still i still can't get over michael wincott being in a disney movie and treasure planet so i mean i just uh I love, I love that <laughs> well so much. You know, what's interesting about both of those movies particularly atlantis is that uh, yeah they 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 didn't make such a big splash when they came out originally, and um, and it was and it was a really really hard movie to work on um, yeah uh, yeah very hard one probably the hardest one that I that I worked on but I loved I loved Audrey I loved drawing her and mm -hmm. and fell in love with her and it was great um, but um, it didn't do well and it was part of the Part of the reason that Disney, you know, decided to stop doing 2D, partly, um, except for the movies that were already in, like, like Home on the Range was already in process of being made. So, you know, they weren't going to stop that. They could have. John Lasseter would have stopped it if he was around then. Um, but um, what's funny is that Atlantis, in particular, has re have recently, in recent years, found a whole new audience. And there are whole, there are whole like you know, Facebook groups and 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 you know, uh, like now you'll see like at uh, at D D twenty three you'll see characters dressed up as characters oh. from Atlantis, yeah, you know, which like never have seen before. Um, no, I know. Uh, we had a reunion two years ago, I guess. Uh, now, God, time flies. It was watched by like millions of people. It was crazy. Um, awesome. and I, it's funny, I didn't watch, I, I mean, obviously I went to the rap party and the screening and everything like that, but I was so, I remember being so exhausted from working on it that I'd never, I didn't watch it again for I, at 10 years at least. Hmm. Um, and I didn't have, I, my memory of it wasn't, I, I was thinking that it wasn't that good. 
And then finally, when it, it came out on Blu-ray, and I was like, well, I guess I'll watch it again. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I love this. Like, yeah. This is so good. I, I guess, you know, I really love this. <laughs> and and, uh, yeah. uh, and it changed my whole point of view about the movie. And, and now it's, it's, I mean, it's not my favorite. I think Tarzan is my favorite of the ones I worked on. But mm-hmm. it's right up there. For sure, mm-hmm. I got. To, I did a convention with with um, Claudia, and uh, I said, "I I wish I could have worked on your character." <laughs> I said, "I love I love your character so much, Claudia Christian." You know, who played Helga, uh, did oh, the voice Helga, for Helga. Right, yes, yeah. And um, uh, I said, "But I was busy." You know, I was busy drawing Audrey the whole time. You know, it's pretty amazing. You know how some of these things come back around, and how the internet is able to allow these fandoms for things to kind of emerge in places where you thought maybe there wasn't any. Um, and I, I just feel like that is one of the things that's really nice about the internet and how you know sometimes it's it's evil, but sometimes nobody it has ever just said kinda... that sentence before. There's something nice <laughs> about the internet. What is I that? mean, not much really, but I think I think being able to kind of oh. have these aggregations of people that are all into the same things and yeah. and share the love it that's that's really extra fun. And actually, my my wife has been playing the the new Disney uh, Dreamlight Valley game, and I assumed that it would just only reference like the most popular current Disney you know properties in it. Um, but almost the entirety of like the core storytelling is based on Atlantis. Like it's wow. not upfront about it, but they use the Atlantean alphabet. They use the glowing blue rocks. It's mm-hmm. all throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And it's like a current contemporary, the most modern thing, you know, that Disney has in terms of a game with their characters. And I was blown away to see her encountering stuff from Atlantis and such a magnitude. I was like, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that this would just be long forgotten in place of, you know, some of the obvious more popular modern choices so i think that's like does a huge it, test does it have uh does it have kidagashmaga it does not have kidagashmaga no. uh <laughs> but i mean she's also not gotten all that far in the game to be to be honest so yeah i mean they're they're, they're very much you pulling a lot from that so it's cool. great to see that love well i gotta uh, tell you for... i gotta tell you something tim um what's interesting about what you just said is that the movies that i acted in in the 80s right the, these you know bad horror movies have also had this incredible surge of of interest in recent years it blows my mind like we've been we, there have been reunions and um i well at wonderfest in june uh i'm going to be they're going to be showing rock and roll nightmare and i'm going to do a live commentary uh oh that's you know, awesome here, that's a wicked audience cool. Uh, and 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 a, a bar is showing Black Roses uh, that same week, and we do the same thing. And they said they're going to have nice. specialty Black Roses cocktails, and and <laughs> it's just nuts. That's Amazing. so it's fun. Nuts. I love it, but I mean, look, I mean, I'm starting to do conventions again, so I'm having yeah. this kind of stuff. Now, previously, this would have been all monster, you know, art and you know stuff like that but now yep. i'm putting zombie nightmare on there and black roses and and you know right stuff uh, that is from your all the other stuff right your, your resume your your old school yeah. you know roles that you're like probably, wow i'm i'm still known for this probably like, thought people still never care about... never be doing that like yeah. oh i joke about that i always say that like you know with, with all the great things that i've been able to accomplish the disney movies and the documentaries and all that kind of stuff what am i going to be remembered for zombie nightmare 
Right, right. You're that guy from Black Roses. I remember yeah. right, you. Exactly. Like what? Why? But yeah, because I, I, seriously, I get I get invitations like like this, you know, to come on podcasts and do interviews or do appearances constantly now, and mostly for those old those old movies that people have just. Well, I was I was recently in this uh, documentary, um, In Search of Darkness. Oh yeah, yep. right. I mean, yep. it was part three. There were three parts of it. I was in part three where I okay. talked about all those movies, and I mean, the response that I get is it's like I'm just like, don't you? These these movies are not that good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like haven't you seen these? <laughs> that has I mean, nothing was to do with whether it was on, it was on Mystery Science fan, Theater like. three thousand, and they you know they they lovingly ripped it to shreds. Which um, one and. Which one? Uh, Zombie Nightmare was okay. Um, okay, the one that's the one I did with Adam West. Oh my God! I can picture the cover. I can picture the yeah. cover. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, I've uh, never seen that episode, but oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, it's okay. oh my God! It, it, actually, that's one of their most popular episodes. To in fact, wow. when a Mystery Science Theater was still on Comedy Central, yeah, they were trying to decide if 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 Mystery Science Theater would work as um like in the movie theaters, right? And yeah. so they they sent me to San Antonio, Texas, to uh, to appear at a theater that was going to be showing my episode. I call it my episode, the Zombie Nightmare episode. It is your episode. The theater on a big right. screen, and it and it sold out. And they had to they had to put it in a second screen. Oh my god! Um, oh my god! And I went, and I went there and I was just like, "How crazy is this that I'm? I you've invited me here. You all invited me here because I was in a movie that was so bad that Mystery Science Theater felt compelled to to have to cover it. You know." <laughs> You never oh, thought you'd be uh, leveraging your star power from Zombie <laughs> Nightmare, not, right? Not like that's that not that's not Certainly where you're not getting it way. from. And then they sent me, and then they did it again. They sent me down to San Diego to do the same thing, and and they were. That's how the Mystery Science Theater movie, which was This Island Earth, is this the movie Earth, that they yeah. made fun of. That's how that happened because of these test screenings. So that Mystery Science Theater kept Zombie Nightmare from disappearing forever. Well, I mean and that that probably, is the magic of that show. Yeah. Yeah, and probably because of that, because of Zombie Nightmare, suddenly there was popularity about that. Then uh, people found out about Rock and Roll Nightmare, and they found out about Black Roses, and you know, mm -hmm. and um, and and it's just it it was it's it's come to this now where um, you know I'm doing convention appearances, you know, to talk to people about these awesome. movies and fun and, and it's great oh i i love it yeah. i love it you know i mean in fact i'll say it right now is like if whoever's listening to this if you have a have a horror convention near you tell them to bring me in because <laughs> this is what I, and this is my retirement now <laughs> i you know yeah. i can't really do i can't really do animation anymore um uh age um you know my hands aren't what they used to i can still draw great mm -hmm. and and that's that's fine, but I can't. I can't do cleanup animation anymore. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, so you know, so luckily I'm good at other things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you know, I could still, I could still, I still get hired gorilla to write screenplays, acting, and and, and be in a gorilla suit, and, and I can still <laughs> act and 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 do conventions, and and I love conventions. I mean, I've been yeah. I've been doing Wonderfest in Louisville 
for over 20 years. I go, I go back every nice. year. That's wow. it's really kind of where my fan base started um, because it was the first, it was the first, Wonderfest was the first convention that I got invited to be a guest at. And, and then it, it kind of spread out from there. So then I was doing chiller theater and doing oh, spooky yep. empire and doing, you know, all mad, um, okay. uh, yep. monster bash and, and all that. And, and, but it started there it started in, in, in Louisville. So I, I go back, I go back every year. So I'm going back in nice. June once again, but I, but I, I love it. I, and now that these old movies are popular again, I'm yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, right. And and just to see enthusiasm for these things that you thought nobody thought was great, you know, you're like, yeah. you're like, yeah. look, sometimes you just got to do stuff. And, and, you know, someone out there probably likes it or whatever, but then you find out like, wow, a lot of people out there really like it. Like, that's so cool, yeah. you know, finding like yeah. somebody, somebody appreciates artwork that you did forever ago or something, you know, yeah. that'd be really cool. I will always be indebted to, well, first of all, to John Fasano, because he was the guy who put me in, in all of those movies, these were his films. Um, but also to Frank Conniff of Mystery Science Theater, because oh, nice. he was the one who um, was he I think he said that he was at a friend's house in the basement and there was a cardboard box and it had all these VHS tapes in it. And he went through it and he found a VHS copy of Zombie Nightmare and he watched it. And then he basically went to, you know, uh, <laughs> to, to the, the rest of the guys. It was like, we have to do this. <laughs> it's got Adam West in it. Come on. That's perfect. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, the two of us just watched Black Roses this week, both of us for the first yeah. time. Yep. Uh, and like, you know, as a fan of schlocky 80s horror, it's it's a damn good time. It it hits the nail on the head, yeah. you know. And, it's, and also, like we're we're rock and roll fans, heavy metal fans, and you know, yeah, we start the so movie out with uh with Lizzie Borden. So I mean, yeah, it's got to be the only one. It's got. <laughs> it's got to be the only one. Got to be the only right, one. You know, that's probably that was. Uh, well, I mean, Nightmare has uh opens with Ace of Spades and Motorhead. Um, oh, nice. And also uh, has some other uh girl school and some other um heavy metal bands in 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 it throughout it because Fasano liked liked heavy metal he, he would he'd never seemed to me like the kind of guy who would but he did so that's why the three of our movies the first three of our movies were all have all you know hard hard rock uh, soundtracks yep. yeah and rock and roll nightmare yeah. of course had john michael thor um who was a heavy metal performer in canada and was very popular up there so that was a that was an easy one <laughs> well black roses has uh carmine apathy uh yep. from king cobra he's uh he's in the back it was just great seeing yeah let's look at this carmine oh he's just doing his thing over there with his mustache oh, what's he doing back there it's just so oh, funny was, and great he was so much fun um because he was sort of our 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 heavy metal guru um you know like nice. he's, he's the one you go to to say like well would they would he do would, would you do this or would you do this or how would you do that and so forth and he had a great he had a great time doing it he we did a we had a black roses reunion um not that long ago like uh i don't know five five or six months ago or something like that and uh uh he was there <laughs> he's still kicking nice. and uh man he was, he was he was so much fun. It was all it was all like this. It was a, it was a Zoom uh, reunion. Um, but yeah. we had we had a lot of the cast members uh, uh, come back, and uh, uh, it was <laughs> it was great. really fun. I mean, I had not seen Karen Plandon uh, play Julie 
um, uh-huh. in since we since we wrapped that movie in 1980. Oh no kidding! Wow. And and now and now we're friends uh, friends again, which is really really super That's cool. Um, super nice. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is really nice. It's really fun. Um, I, I don't regret, I don't really regret anything that I ever did, but, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I, people always yeah. ask me if I regret doing those movies, but I really don't at all. I, I like, no, no, everything I, is, you know. Well, you know, I have to give it to Black Roses, you know, for a low budget movie, there were so many practical effects and, uh, absolutely none none of them repeated themselves so like you know essentially this movie for those of you who haven't seen you know it's about this rock and roll band from hell they're secretly demons and they play concerts and you know the audience uh, becomes enthralled with the music and then slowly turns into demons themselves and every single transformation every single monster every single time you see anything that it's anything involving a special effect or a gaff or anything like that they are it's it's 100 nothing you've already seen they mm-hmm. it, it really i it made me feel like yeah. okay they were the special effects team was really really going for it yeah like really like all right we're gonna show we're gonna do every possible different thing we can do and they tried a lot of interesting things like when um I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's Julie or or not. When she transforms, uh, and she has like the extended neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, the scene right before that, where she starts getting these like teeth that are coming out and yeah, like almost like morphing yep. her face, like really yeah. just pretty incredible effect. Like you know, watching the pretty movie, simple but great. It yeah, it looked it looked yeah. super great. Look, you know, uh, here's the thing about that is that you know when it came to doing practical effects, which we all love, John Pisano went to get like real pros like he went to uh, like uh, guys you know you might not know their names but richie alonzo and andy clement and and mike maddie uh who were all pros working in the business and you know got them to 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 create all these monsters and uh uh mike maddie is the guy who did the, the what we call the julie monster so the oh, puppet okay. oh, that nice. had the, the long neck and the big fangs oh, and everything like that yep. it took Took full. I, I actually helped puppeteer that scene. Um, I'm, oh, I'm, cool. I'm 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 the right arm, I think. Correctly, <laughs> 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 um, but I, you know, he he, I I did some of the effects too because when we made Rock and Roll Nightmare, which was right was was in between, it was the second movie that we made. It was after Zombie Nightmare and it was before Black Roses. But that was on a, such a micro budget that we were doing, we had people telling us how to do it, but we were doing it all ourselves. So I learned how to how to sculpt and how to make a mold and how to run foam and all that kind of stuff. So when it came to Black Roses, John um, basically assigned certain effects to me, um, which I did in, in I, my parents had a basement that was empty. So I, I set it up into a little lab and, 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 but here's, here's what's so funny about those scenes. They're, they're, one of them is very quick, and it's when Janie, the the blonde, uh, the blonde girl, uh, mm-hmm. goes to see the guidance counselor, and oh yeah, the, she the she she pushes pushes him out the window, and there's right. a shot right before when she gets up to go push him, and it's oh, only yes. one very quick shot, right? It's like well, a frame was, of, was, of a yeah. That was that yeah, was yeah, my sculpture. It was my sculpture. It was my I ran the foam on that. I made the molds for that. And, wow. Um, and, that is but, so cool. Uh, 
but he, and and for the scene when I kill my father, um, John's original intention, and I we made this prosthetic, and it did, we couldn't get it to match. But when I come out there with the gun and I've got my shirt off, we had done this sort of a, a video drone kind of thing where these these veins came out of my arm and then wrapped around the gun, like as oh, if like wow. And it was yeah. a really cool effect that, unfortunately, when when they tried to incorporate it into the scene, they, it just it, it didn't match well enough. They couldn't use it. Um, but but the the best one. Is, so we did some reshoots, right? That we did in New York. Um, uh, you know, that uh, the you know the investors were like, well, we need more nudity and we need more monsters in it, um, right? So the scene the scene with. Um, uh, Vince, I can't, can't remember his last name now. The guy who played Big Pussy on on The Sopranos, where he's he's uh, sure. Tony's dad, yes, and yes, the lobster it. monster comes out of the speaker and he fights speaker, it. And yeah, it, yeah. yep. Um, yep. So that was done way after the fact, and there's a scene where well, John came to me. And he said, "Look, we're going to film this scene because they want more more tits in the movie," and he said, "So we're going to have a scene where." We can't get Julie down here because she's in Canada, but we're going to use a, a body double and we're going to shoot this scene where she's down in the in her basement and she's she's feeling herself up and lighting the candle and everything like that. And we just won't show her. You only show her from the neck down. So yeah. John said, well, I want you what I want. I want to see that she's starting to like demonize. So I want you to do a prosthetic, um, create a prosthetic where it, he says, I want it to be subtle. I don't want it to be too big. Right. But it's just you, you can see that something's happening with her hand that she's, you know, starting to become something else. Right. So, you know, I sculpted this thing. I, I, you know, I you know, did the molds, ran the foam, everything like that. Got it, got it to set, put it on this girl. Right. <laughs> and then she, they go down and they film and it was closed set because there was nudity. Right. So I didn't see them actually, you know, shooting it. But I saw it after and I realized that. You know, yeah, there's there's a there's a little prosthetic on her hand, but nobody's gonna look at that because she's playing with her boobs in the whole thing. Right. Like, right. man, I'm just so, talking about just being a fly on the wall over here. Yeah, no one's looking at me. Completely waste, waste of time and money and effort to make that prosthetic when nobody would you would not even notice it. Seriously. Right. If, if, you know, if you didn't say look closely. <laughs> right. Frank, I, I did a thing over here. Me. See, I, I didn't notice it. I have to. Yeah. Have no, to, you and you wouldn't, no, you wouldn't. It was actually too subtle. If it, if I had, if I had, if, you know, ignored John and made it bigger and bumpier or whatever, you probably would have noticed it. But, right. Make it more but, grotesque. Uh, or something. <laughs> but the, uh, the previous thing you mentioned with the, uh, the, the sculpt you did of the demon face of the girl who pushed the guy. Yeah. Down, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent noticed at the end of the movie. I watched it with a friend of mine and uh and uh, that was one of the things i mentioned it's like wow yeah and then there was that there was that one you suffer like one second we we you know we should have paused it i want to see it i want to see it better um that's really cool knowing that was that was your that's, that's funny really actually funny. because that's not even pat um uh patricia who who played janie um mm -hmm. that shot that single shot is not her it's somebody else with similar hair that we we put the, the so mask fun. on and so yeah, and and shot it and shot it in a completely different country, actually, <laughs> than, oh, wow. than the rest of the scene. So, 
that's the magic of movies for you. That is right? pretty yeah, cool. really though. Just one second. Um, all right, Frank. So we're we're pushing two hours here. I want to make sure we get to talk about. So just just brief uh, brief mention. You did get to write a creep show episode for the new creep yeah. show show. That's pretty fun. Obviously, uh, you and your your buddy Greg working together. Your episode is pesticide. And it starred Josh McDermott from The Walking Dead, who I firmly believe needs to play Robert E. Howard in a biopic. And I don't know why yeah. nobody's, nobody's jumped on that because they have basically the same face. Um, wow. And, of course, one of the all-time greats, Mr. Keith David. Yeah. Know him, love him. Uh, yep. yeah. and, Ash and Ashley Lawrence from the Hellraiser movies. So oh, that's right. That was, that's a, right. That was a stacked cast. I was that's thrilled. Right. When Greg told so cool. me, I'll tell you something very quickly, a very funny thing about it. Um, so when we started, you know, we finished the script, it got approved by the network and, you know, moving forward and, and thinking about casting. And I had a couple of ideas and Greg, Greg said, uh, oh, I, he said, I approached um, Rain Wilson, but he's not available. And so we're going to go out, we'll go for somebody else. And I thought I was like, I was a fan of, of Josh. Um, on as Eugene on The Walking Dead, and, yeah, he's, and um, he's great. I, I met him. I met him at Greg's house once, and he was a really funny. He was a great guy, and so I texted Greg one day, and I just said, "Hey, I just had a thought. Like, I think you know Josh McDermott would make a really good Harlan uh, in the episode." And I there was a pause, like he didn't answer right away, and I thought, oh, I guess maybe that was a stupid idea. But then finally, he he texted me back. He goes, "That's pretty funny because I already hired him." <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah. yeah wow that's really cool yeah that was great to be able to work with Greg. i i didn't get to go on to the set i i had a ticket to go down to atlanta and be on the set to the filming of it but then covid hit and everything changed and ah, um yeah, you know after good. that you know the, the 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 protocols for for covid on movie sets were so strict that if you didn't need to be on set, you don't go on set. So, uh, but Greg was so cool because he would, he would take little film, you know, little videos on his phone uh, of them, you know, when he was shooting stuff and he'd send it to me so I could get a, at least an idea of what was going on down there. And, uh, Neat. and I've, uh, I, since then I've met Keith David and, um, and we had a very funny coincidence too, actually. Uh, he, I was in a documentary many years ago called um creature feature um 60 years of the gill man uh as a you know talking head right. talking about the, from the black lagoon and uh keith david was the narrator of that oh neat documentary. Huh. and then one i didn't nice. discover until the day i met him it was at a at one of the one of the horror cons and i i'm looking at his table and he's got all the photos from his different movies and stuff there and i look at the one and it's a character from Hercules, and it's a character I drew from Hercules. Oh, why? Wow! And I, I said to him, "I said you're not going to believe it." And he he was laughing. He was just like he was like, "Well, we've like known each other for many years, haven't we?" Way before even realizing <laughs> it. Super, super, he, uh, super crazy. I didn't I didn't realize he voiced a he voiced a character in Hercules. Was it was it yeah, a smaller he, he, part? He, I mean, it's a small part. It's not one of the leads. It's yeah. Okay. He, he did the voice of Apollo, one of the oh, gods. Oh, so cool! Okay. I never yeah. knew that. Yeah. 
Dude, he had a photo oh, yeah. of Apollo there, and I was just yeah, that's I, so I, crazy. I had, I had to have him sign one of those, of course. Of course, you know? of course. I actually just met Keith at a convention for the first time ever last year as well. Uh, he was a very, very nice guy, and he he, yeah. he 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 had an awesome panel, and you know, did a great talk, and it was just amazing being in the the same room with him. I've just been a fan forever. Um, yeah, but. But that is a cool story that, that he. Yeah, he I know, right? It's like that. small world. Yeah, because there's that one early scene where you just kind of see all the gods real quick, and yeah. like all of them, they kind of go around the room. And it's like, oh, there's Aphrodite. Oh, there's Apollo. You know, it's kind of cool. Poseidon's a fish guy. Um, <laughs> so, so to end things off, if it's okay by you, we always like to swing things around to. Uh, a retro topic, but really this entire episode has been retro topics. We've been talking sure about has. lots of fun old stuff, so it all counts. But I, I happen to know that you're a big fan of Mr. Ray Harryhausen, and uh, you oh, mentioned yeah. being a fan of lots of different types of animation as a child, as was I. I was also the, the monster kid who was sitting there just dying for the, the one shot of... I remember being frustrated as a very small kid, I remember we rented um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and I just only cared about the giant squid. And I remember being very, very like bored, and I was impatient, and I didn't care. I wasn't even paying attention. I was just essentially just waiting for the giant squid to show up, and that's it. And my mom's like, look, okay, look, it's this one scene. It's really <laughs> not that big a deal. It's not going to be worth it. You're going to get to it. We're going to blow past it, and you're not going to be satisfied. Like, watch the movie. And, uh, <laughs> and that was like 100% me. But like anytime, you know, a Harryhausen movie uh, came on, I was always fascinated. And Clash yeah. of the Titans came out the year after I was born. And that was a big one when I was a kid. And uh, certainly probably the movie I've seen the most of his. But so you you knew Ray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, please, please tell us. Tell us about it. Tell us about the um, whole thing. Any, any other yeah. stories you got? Okay, uh, well, I'll tell you the first time I met him because it's the funniest one. Um, so um, this was after we were already making, we had already made two two of the movies, I think. Um, and there was a convention, a sci-fi convention in New York City, one of the hotels in New York City, and Ray was going to be there. And we were like, oh my God, it's the, right. you know, Ray, <laughs> Harry yeah. Yeah, believe yeah. it, right? And okay. so... Um, uh, I, I saw him, I was in, in the, not in the lobby, but in the hallway, and I saw him, he was tall, kind of tall guy, guy, and there were all these fans around him, right, and they were all trying to, you know, get an autograph, and I was like, oh, I was like, shit, 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 I need a, I need a picture, and I, so I ran to the, Jerry Olinger, who was a guy who had, you know, was selling pictures from everything, you know, and I said, I need a, you know, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and I bought it real quick, and I, I make my way through the crowd, and I'm pushing my way through, I'm gonna get to him, because I'm afraid I'm gonna miss my opportunity, right, and this woman is, like, in the way, and I'm just, I just practically just like shoved her out of the way to get to him. Right? <laughs> up there and, and, and he says, Oh, look at that. You, you like the beast from 20,000 fathoms, do you? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He says, oh. oh, he's one of my favorites as well. You know, and he signs, signs it to Frank. And I'm just like, ah, and then he turns to the woman that I just hip checked and goes, come on, Diana, it's time for lunch. Let's go get like, <laughs> hip checked his wife. <laughs> I just got his wife. Fortified. And then he's nice enough to, you know, do the whole thing. I know, I know. He didn't even react to it, right? 
So, so you know, flash forward many years, and I'm very blessed to, uh, you know, met Ray on several occasions. And one night um, at a, at a convention, we ended up um, sitting together for, for dinner, and. Ray was talking to somebody else at the table and Diana was there. And I, so I said, Diana, I have to tell you a funny story, right? And I told her that story and she just laughed. She just thought that was the funniest thing. She said, she goes, she was just like, honestly, she goes, I don't remember it at all. So don't worry about it. Okay. It's like, thank, thank you. Thank you. Bless you for, for giving awesome. me. Right. Um, Meanwhile, you've thought about that hip check for your, you know, life. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but he was, he was a really, he was such a cool guy. I mean, he was very, yeah. very chill, very, I mean, you know, that's, that's about as loud as you ever heard him talk. And he talked you, very deliberately. Your impression of him is uh, impressive. It's been working on it a long time. Really um, and I have friends who do it even way better than I do. So, um, <laughs> But he he was uh, he he really loved um, you, you know he really loved what he did and yeah. and uh, and it, it showed in the work clearly um, but but also him you know he loved to talk about it um, you know he's I, I you got to I got to hear you know a lot of the stories several times over the years but um, you know, it's like oh I cut up my mother's fur coat and made a woolly mammoth out of it and then I saw King Kong <laughs> fifty times and the first day it came out and you know but uh, uh, but he was a he was a very very kind um, very nice um, I, I was I just really feel like um, I I was it's nice when you meet your heroes and they live up to to yeah you know, what you always hoped. You know, that was yep. true of, of Adam West for me, too. I mean, you know, it was just somebody that I prayed was going to be a good, you know, a fun person and that he would like me and, you know, and everything. And, and after Zombie Nightmare, Adam and I stayed friends for years and years and years and, and would get together every now and then and, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, have drinks and have fun. Um, and he yeah. was he was a great guy, too. So, um, but Ray... Ray was special, without a doubt. You know, um, I and the the big honor for me very recently was um, his daughter Vanessa um, uh, put out a, a book all about Ray's work, his you know his 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 whole career really, and um, um, it's called um, Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema, and it's a beautiful book, and I was really honored because they asked me to have the have, use a drawing that I had done and they made that the very at the very end of the book along with Vanessa's um, uh, oh, wow. you know uh, the backward what the back of the book is called um, After uh, anyway I, it was a drawing I had done years before of Ray Harryhausen and Ray Bradbury as Laurel and Hardy uh dressed up as laurel and hardy and and um and ray harryhausen has the the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms sitting in his lap nice. so you know it was a triangle there obviously yeah, and um so and awesome. ray loved that drawing um and both rays actually um ray bradbury when i finally met him um and told him that i was the one who did that drawing 
he he was on a walker. He put his walker aside and he says, come here. And he gave me this big, he goes, I love that drawing. He goes, do you know, I have that drawing up above uh, in my office, up above my typewriter. Wow. And I was just oh like, gosh, wow. wow. Uh, and, and Ray, Unbelievable. <laughs> Ray, you know, there was a producer on the beast from 20,000 fathoms named Jack Dietz spelled the same way. Oh, and Ray okay. was constantly re referring to me as Jack Dietz because that oh, was the no. name in his head. And Diana would be would always be the one who would be like, Ray, Ray, this is this isn't Jack, this is Frank. You know, you've met him ten times already. You know, he's the one who did the drawing. <laughs> oh yes, I love that drawing so much. Oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I I'm honored to have Ray constantly getting my name wrong yeah, sure. right 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 exactly you're just like i'm happy that you think about me in any regard and have a piece yeah. of you know my contribution in any way as a part of your life that's that is incredible yeah that's yeah. that's such a that an amazing special. feeling that is special. yeah and it's really incredible that you got the last but, drawing um, yeah so it, you know one of the yeah. great parts uh, one of the great things about uh, you know, having a c career in this industry is, you know, ha having the ability to meet and interact with, you know, people that you uh, grew up admiring and, and, you know, uh, yeah. there's nothing, uh, nothing better than that, honestly, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Enough said that, uh, is incredible, incredible stuff, Frank. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing so many amazing stories. With us. Yeah, you've been a, a fountain of amazing stories and interesting anecdotes and an incredible career that is yeah. just endlessly interesting to hear about. Honestly, I, uh, I I want the Frank Dietz documentary next. You know, when are we going to get the Frank Dietz story? Uh, you know, we've heard it here, but I mean, you got you got a, an amazing journey. Right. And I think your career is is actually incredibly inspiring for a lot of people because you've managed to do so many different diverse things right. and been able to master so many different skills that it just goes to show that you don't have to pick one thing to be good at. You don't have to just decide something and then do that forever. You can multitask. You can, you know, split off your interests. You can figure out your pathway through life through a variety of different, you know, avenues. And that's totally cool. That's totally legitimate. And you don't have to be like, oh God, did I pick the wrong thing? Have I spent too much time doing this other thing? It's like, it doesn't matter. Have you heard about Frank Dietz? Frank Dietz <laughs> has done just about all the things in different ways and to all sorts of degrees of success. So yeah, I mean, your well, story is really something, Frank. I'll tell you something. That's, that is one of the one of the things that I really press upon when I give talks to students, um, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, groups of people that are starting out that are interested in, you know, in becoming, you know, part of this industry is that diversify man. you know, find, find other things to do because, you know, I, you never know. Like I was at Disney for eight years and uh, what happened? My job became obsolete. Uh, luckily, I had already been working as a screenwriter, so I just went right back to that. And mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they balance each other out. And um, uh, and uh, so, I always say, you know, make sure that you you're, you try to be try to be good at more than one thing, because you never know when that other thing might come in handy. Yeah, absolutely. Great words of wisdom, Frank. Great, great Thank advice. You. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rock and Doris, uh, we'll be looking for it. Do you want to say anything um, more about the movie? Is there anything? Um, anything you I wanted to plug in particular? 
Well, you know, up? it's it'll be a while because we really just wrapped the movie only a couple of okay. weeks ago. So it's got to it's got to go through the whole editing process and the sound mixing and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So and what what Mike's plan is, um, I I don't know exactly, but um, I I know that he'll he'll do everything he can to get it into theaters at least for uh, at least for a week. Um, because yeah, that's right. that what, would be you have an indie film. Yeah, that's what those. you do. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll be looking out for it, like absolutely for sure. And I have to go see Zombie Nightmare now. I've seen it's so funny. I've seen that when they redid all the cover arts for all the episodes of Mystery Science Theater, and they yeah, yeah. used to serve it up on Netflix yeah. or whatever. You'd see that Zombie Nightmare, but yeah, it was just yeah. a as a movie an episode I hadn't heard of personally. So I just like, I, I just I missed that one it. for some reason. And it even has zombies. What was I thinking? I don't know. And it was the <laughs> Frank Dietz episode for crying out loud. Yep, episode well, six oh four. <laughs> 604 nice excellent yeah we're we're big fans of misty uh for sure but anyway thank you so much for coming on one more time i'll say it one more time thank you so much it's been a, a real pleasure hearing all your vast vast wealth of of stories and information and all these just incredible things you've done over the years uh so thank you so much for coming on well, and, thank you guys uh, and it was a, it was a lot of fun and my oh, pleasure good. I, good awesome glad thank to hear so it much. always happy to hear that yeah uh always always great when the 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 guest also had fun because we always have fun we're just frank to be honest we're easy like yeah we hope we're not too annoying you know that's kind of what we're always striving for we kind of have fun like always so i mean yeah (laughs) but thanks so much guys guys uh i'll take us out thank you so much for listening to this episode this episode of the brig oh by the way frank we'll uh well i'll come down the stairs and let you out of there so that'll let him out yeah, yeah just, just watch the right, are, you know, can you at least i don't know turn on the ac and maybe throw me a couple of hot dogs i'll be fine <laughs> what do you I put mean, on hot dogs again what is you know, it uh <laughs> i just think can't remember uh, it's spatulas spatulas go on the hot dogs I just can't remember oh steven spielberg that's oh steven spielberg is the answer right that's no right. it's lemon meringue oh no, damn lemon that's meringue. right i've never i can never remember that <laughs> i just don't have enough meringue on hand really that and uh larry had also said but that guy had it coming though so that's even funnier <laughs> now because there was no guy Okay. There's no lemon meringue, as far as you remember. He's just, yeah. you know. Oh, oh, that Larry. All right. All right. Guys, that just uh, just about wraps up the episode. So if you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you've enjoyed this week's journey over the treacherous waters of all the things that made growing up awesome. If you like what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and or Twitter. We are part of the Dorkening, and there's a lot of Dorkening shows that you should definitely go check out, like Shark Bites and Epic Tales from the Sewers and Throwdown Thursday, that strange show, the Wicked Horror Show. This, there's a lot of monster stuff, actually, on the Dorkening, there is. Frank. There you really might is. like it. You, you might want to check it out. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But uh, but anyway, thanks, guys. Uh, I have been your host. My name's Parasite Steve, and for my buddy, Mr. 8-Bit, as hey. I did, I called him last week, but not this week. Right. Uh, it, it certainly is a sad thing. Your adventures have ended here, but we're we're happy you took the journey with us. We'll say good night, take care, and bye.
for more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.